Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Genesis chapter 15, verse 4. This is God speaking um, through his servant to his people. And he says, However, there will be no poor among you, since the Lord will surely bless you in the land which your Lord, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess. If only you listen obediently to the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all these, these commandments which I am commanding you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as He has promised you. And you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. And you will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. So this is an extension of a promise that God made in the beginning of, of this covenant that He had with His people when He made it to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a mighty nation, and I'm going to bless you, and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that, that word when he talks about blessing him there means many things. It means health, it means prosperity, um, it means peace, it means joy, it means security, provision, protection, all these things that God promised to Abraham. And, and, and that promise never went away, no matter how long... Uh, the children of Israel walked, there was always that promise because God made an oath and He swore to Abraham that He was going to do this thing. Um, and so, uh, so we, we know that God had every intention. He promised that He was going to bless them. And I, just, I read that because I want us to understand that as we read this next verse, that, that it was not like God said, well, I could bless you or I might bless you. He said, I will bless you. You'll be a mighty nation. In fact, He said, you will be... Wealthy to the point that you never have to lend to people, but you'll be able, I mean, you'll never have to borrow from people, but you'll be able to lend. In other words, you're never going to be in a position where you lack. You'll always be in a position where you have extra, where you have surplus. That's a promise of God to his people. That's what he said. This is God said this, okay? So now flip to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. Now Moses is talking to the people. And he's talking to them about how God wants to take care of them and, and what God's asking of them, what God's requiring of them, and he's promising them all these blessings. And then he says in, in, in chapter 8, in verse 18, he says, but you should remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you the power to make wealth, that He may confirm His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that just for today, God, for everything that you're, you've, you're doing and that you've done and that you're continuing to do, uh, we, we just we bless you and we're thankful, God, that, that you love us the way that you do, that you care about us the way that you do. And we just ask today that, that as we hear from your word, God, and as we hear you speak, that our ears would be open to hear that our minds would comprehend, our hearts would receive, that our lives, God, that our hearts would be good soil, that the seed of Your Word would go into our hearts and it would produce fruit, God, that a world that doesn't know You would taste the fruit of our lives and see that You're good. That Your Word would bear fruit in our lives, God, that the world would taste and see that You are good because of the fruit that You produce in our lives. We thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so God's talking to His people and He says to them, He says, I'm going to bless you, 
and I'm going to do all these things for you. And then he says this. He says, so remember that it is the Lord. And, and, and that seems so simple, but sometimes we forget that it's actually Him that's doing the things in our lives. That, that, that even though we play a part in that, that, that it's Him. It's He's the one who's giving us even the ability. But He says this to them. He says, remember that it is the Lord who is giving you the ability to make wealth because He wants to confirm the covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. God made a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob, that He would bless them and bless their offspring and that through them the people of the earth would be blessed. And that was a big deal. When God made covenant with man, He swore by His own name. He swore, He called heaven and earth. He said, Moses or Abraham, I call heaven and earth as, as witness against you. There's nobody that could witness this I'm calling heaven and earth. So all of creation now is witnessing this covenant that we're making. And let it be done to me as was done to this if I do not do this. In other words, God said, I'm promising you this and there's no way that I'm going to break that promise. Because it says that He values His own word even above His own name. In other words, when He says something, it's unbreakable. He's not a man that He should lie. That all things are held together by His word. That when He spoke gravity, that because His word is unbreakable, Gravity exists. And were he to break his word, there would be complete chaos because all things are held together by his word. It's unbreakable. The reason that the planets rotate the way they do and move it the way they do, the way the sun rises and the moon rises and it sets and the tides ebb and flow, it was all things that he spoke into existence and it's his word that keeps everything the way that he created it to be. And his word is, I promise if God was ever to break his word, which he can't, everything would fall apart. Because all things are held together by His Word. So He promised them this. And I found this so amazing as I was reading through. I had to go back and forth a few times just to make sure that, that I saw it right. He swore an oath, made a covenant promise to their fathers to bless them as a people. And yet when it came time to make good on that promise, what did He say? He said, I'm giving you the power to make wealth. He didn't say, know this, it is the Lord who is giving you wealth. Because he's confirming the promise that he made to your fathers. In other words, this covenant that he made, this promise that they would be blessed, the way that he made good on the promise and the way that he fulfilled the promise wasn't to give them something. It was to give them the ability to go and make something. He said that he is giving you the ability to create wealth. And I don't want you to get hung up because this, this whole message is not about money. We're going to move on to other things. But in this case, it was talking about wealth. It was talking about financial wealth, right? So it says, he gave them the ability. That word ability in Greek is asa, which means to do or make. And it's the same word used when God said that he made the firmament and divided the seas. It says he created them. So it's that same word. He says, listen, I am going to make good on the promise that I promised to your fathers. But the way that I'm going to do it is not by giving you the thing that was promised, but by giving you the ability to go and get the thing, to make the thing, to create the thing that was promised. And don't forget that that's coming from me. 
And I think there's so many things, as I was reading through Scripture, me and Tom were talking about some different examples of of ways that that God makes a promise, and then His fulfilling of the promise is not by Him giving us the thing that was promised, it's by Him giving us the ability to carry out the thing that was promised, or to do, or to become, or to be the thing that was promised. In fact, there were so so many things that were promised to the Israelites, and there's so many things that He wants for us, and that He's promised to us, but the promise is not going to come to pass by us sitting on our butts and saying, well, if God wants me to have it, then He'll give it to me. Because a lot of the times the promise is supplied, or the answer to the promise is supplied by us having the ability to go out and create, become, and be the thing that He's, cre- that he's promised to us. The Israelites could have sat in the desert after hearing that God had promised their forefathers that they was going to bless them. They had that promise. I'm going to make you a wealthy nation. You're going to be so wealthy that you will never have to borrow from anyone. You'll be able to lend to everybody. You will never lack. There will never be sick among you. It's all these promises that God makes. He says you will never have a poor among you. That's His Word. God spoke that. He said there will be no poor among you. They could have taken that promise and said, well, if God promised there's not going to be any poor among us, then we can just sit here. We don't have to do anything. And God will make good on His promise. But that's not the way God did it. They could have sat on their butt in the desert, waiting for God to bless them, and it would have never happened because the way that He blessed them wasn't by dropping it out of the sky. It was by giving them the ability to go out and create the thing that He had promised. And I think there's some, there's some things in our lives, if we're not careful, that we will know are a promise from God and we'll take this approach and say, well, if it's God's will, if God really promised, if God really wants, then He's going to do it. So there's nothing that's required of me because I'm just going to sit back and wait for Him to do it. Maybe. But maybe rather than dropping that thing in your lap, the thing that He wants to do is give you the ability to actually go out and get the thing that He promised to give you. Maybe He actually wants to partner with you rather than be that for you so that you're not just sitting there like a baby bird with your mouth open. You know, there's times where God treats us like baby birds, right? Like where we're, we're young in the faith, you know. He says we, we, we grow up on milk. We get something that's processed by other people. But He expects at some point that we go out and we get things for ourselves. That's what Paul said. Remember we talked about that. He said, by now you guys should be eating meat. What was he saying? By now you should be going and getting and processing things that can become milk that you create and feed for other people. But I'm still having to come to give you milk. In other words, you guys are sitting in a nest that you're outgrowing and it's probably starting to stink in there and there's probably a mess going on inside the nest and it's uncomfortable Because you're not supposed to be sitting in the nest anymore waiting for mom to come with worms. You're supposed to be spreading your wings flying and going out and feeding for yourselves. And it's so much so that you grow to the point that you're capable of becoming the person that goes and feeds other people. And instead we're in the nest, you know, and it probably doesn't look real cute to him when you're 38 years old sitting in the nest with your mouth open going, feed me! Ah! That's why eagles kick him out of the nest. God's favorite bird. They are. They've got to be God's favorite bird. Either eagles or doves. The prophetic people are like, no, they're owls. <laughs> prophetic people love owls. But I, I honestly believe that, there's, that, that if we're not careful, we will take these promises of God and it will become this passive thing where it's like, well, if God promised it, 
then obviously God's going to do it. And if God's going to do it, then that requires nothing of me. So let's just see if God will do it or not. And I believe we miss out on a lot of things in life if we take that and we don't understand that a lot of the times the answer is within the ability. John uh, chapter 16, verse 12. He said, I, Jesus was telling his disciples. He said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. Think about this. God said he takes delight in the prosperity of his servants. God spoke that. Yet the way that he gets the thing that he takes delight in is not by giving it. It's by giving the ability to go and get the very thing that he takes delight in. You've been entrusted with that. And yeah, he takes delight in it. But the way that he, we, we receive the thing that he delights in us having, like it's something that God delights in. He spoke that is for us to actually take the ability that He's given us and go and get the thing that He's promised for us that He actually wants for us to have. It's not a, well, if God wants me to have it, I guess I'll just have it. So John chapter 16, verse 12, He said, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but of whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Here's this amazing promise that Jesus has of revelation to the disciples. He says, listen, there's so many more things I want to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. You know, sometimes God's not telling you things because he's way more concerned with your joy, your health, and your well-being than he is your demand to understand. See, Jesus looked at them and said, they can't handle this right now. They're at their breaking point. They're confused. They don't understand. I'm about to go to a cross and die. They're going to be scattered like sheep without a shepherd. They can't bear this right now. And I want to tell them this. It wasn't his lack of desire that kept him from telling them these things. It was their lack of ability to receive it in that moment. And so he said, there's so many more things, but you can't bear them right now. But there is a day coming where the Spirit will come and everything that the Father has has been given to the Son, and He will take the things that are mine and make them known to you. So it's just just amazing promise of Jesus that the Holy Spirit will make known to us all these truths that Jesus wanted to speak in that moment. And yet later, earlier, uh, when Jesus was talking to them, He said, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Notice he didn't say, be born again and it will be given to you. You will find and the doors will be opened. He feels perfectly confident in commanding us to walk in revelation and to walk in knowledge and to walk in wisdom and to be able to discern the times because he's placed within us the ability to actually go after that and seek it for ourselves. It's the ability to seek it. It's not, listen, there are times when God just drops revelation on you that you weren't even seeking, but it's amazing how many times that revelation is dropped on people who spend their lives consistently seeking. It's like, it's not the people who casually go about their knowing God and casually go about pursuing a relationship with Him that just consistently walk in these amazing revelations. It's the people who are actually consistently, it's not earning, it's just saying, God, I believe you so much that if you told me to do these things, I'm going to do them. I'm going to believe that there's a promise attached to that that I'll see the reward of. 
And so it's, it's not like he, um, Paul was writing. He said, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? That's in italics in your Bible if you have a uh, NASB translation or King James because that's an Old Testament promise. He's quoting an Old Testament verse there. And it says, who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? And then he answers that with a new covenant promise. But we have the mind of Christ. In other words, there's no way to know what things that God wants to show us except for this, that we have a promise that He's given us the ability to think like Jesus. It's not that He said, I'm just going to pour out revelation and you just soak it up and, and once you become born again, you will know all things, you will be all things, you'll become all things. He said, when you become a child of mine and my spirit's inside of you, you'll have the ability to think like me and then you can seek and you can knock and you can ask and these things will be opened, they'll be given and they'll be revealed to you. It's the ability that contains the promise. It's not that God just opened it up and said, okay, I'm just going to give it to you. What He gave to us was the ability. Um, there was another time that I was thinking about where He said to, um, to Ezekiel, He said, He's walking with Ezekiel and he, Ezekiel looks, He sees the valley of dry bones and God says, can they live? And he says, oh Lord, You know. And he says, he starts to speak to him. And he says again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come back to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone and I looked and behold, sinews were on them. And flesh grew and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So he said, listen, I'm going to put sinews on them. I'm going to put flesh on them. I'm going to join their bones together. I'm going to cover them with skin and I'm going to put my breath in them so that they will come alive. So Ezekiel prophesies to these things. And sure enough, everything that God said would happen happens except for the breath doesn't come. The breath doesn't come. They're not alive yet. They're sitting there and it must have been kind of freaky looking for Ezekiel because you have these fully alive looking human bodies that have no life in them. They're completely lifeless. And God says, now you prophesy to the wind, son of man. You call forth the wind. You call forth the breath. You speak that into them. Why? Because God wanted to do something, but He wanted Ezekiel to play a part in it. He said, I'm going to do this. And then He says, now you do this. So which is it? God's doing it or man is doing it? Yes. Because he clearly stated his desire. He said, I'm going to put my breath. In fact, he said it twice. I'm going to put my breath in them. They will come alive. And at the end, he says, I will breathe on them and they will come to, to life. There's a promise there that said God was going to do it. Ezekiel could have sat back and said, well, God promised to put breath in those bodies and he will do that. And there's nothing more that's required of me. And he could have sat there and looked all day long and not one of those bodies would have came to life. Because there was something left for him to do. And God said, now you prophesy, son of man. You say 
to the wind. You call forth the breath. And when he did that, the breath came back into their bodies and suddenly they became alive, an exceedingly great army. God had every intention of doing what he said he was going to do. Listen, every promise that God spoke over your life, he has every intention of bringing to pass. But there may be some things he's asking you to do and the way he's bringing it to pass is by giving you the ability to make it happen. There's so many promises like that, right? In the Old Testament, uh, God declared to his people, he said, I am the Lord, your healer. He spoke that. He said, I'm the Lord who healeth you. That's when he gained the name Jehovah Rapha. In the New Testament, Jesus comes along and says, if you lay hands on the sick, they will recover. He says in James, if there be sick among you, bring them before the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith will heal the sick and if they have any sin, they'll be forgiven. So what changed? Nothing except for the promise of God to be the healer was actually bestowed and placed into his people so that they, being obedient, could actually bring what he desired to happen to pass here on earth. The promise is still... I am the Lord, your healer. But no longer is it God who just mysteriously heals. Now all of a sudden, He placed the ability and He placed the desire and He placed the power to do so inside of people and said, now you go, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. You bring them before the elders of the church and anoint them. This is the Bible. This is not just like something I made up. It's strictly from your Bible. The way that He brought forth His promise, He still promised, I am the Lord who heals you. But the answer to the promise wasn't God walking around healing everybody. It was Jesus coming and giving the power to us and saying, now you go. You lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You call the, the sick before the elders of the church, lay hands on them, pray for them, anoint them with oil, and they will recover. Why? Because the answer was no longer in God just sovereignly doing something. The answer was in the ability that He placed within His people. And we can sit back and say, well, God said He's the God who heals, so if He wants to heal them, He will. Listen, He already answered that question. He already said who He is. He already said what His desire was. But now He placed the ability to see that happen inside of His people, inside of His bride. And He said, now you go. You heal the sick. You cast out demons. Go. You make disciples. Listen, Jesus, God sent Jesus to the world so that through Him the world might be saved. That's straight from our Bibles, right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his, the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. We all know that Scripture. We all know that God sent His Son because of His great love so that the whole world would be saved. But then we read in the New Testament, Paul saying, Therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ as though God Himself were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. God has entrusted us with the very Gospel. His answer wasn't that He would just do something and everybody would be saved. The answer was that He would give us the ability in the ministry of reconciliation that we would go and preach the Gospel and make disciples. The answer isn't in something that He sovereignly does. The answer was in something that He gave to us and then entrusted us and said, go. Think about how much God thinks of us and how much He trusts us that we would be plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G all the way through Z. He has no other plan. His plan of redemption is that He called us into His family. He placed His Spirit inside of us and then He sent us into this world to go and make disciples and reproduce what Jesus has done in our lives in the lives of other people. That you have the gospel of reconciliation. 
that you do. And it says, and God pleads. You guys, are you hearing me? Like it says that God, as if God himself pleads through us. What's he saying? When we open our mouths and speak and tell you the gospel of reconciliation and declare what God has done, it's as if God is speaking through us. Why? Because he is. Because he's entrusted the gospel of reconciliation to people. Because the answer was to place the ability inside of people. He has no problem telling you to go and make disciples because he placed the ability to do so inside of you. But he won't do it for you. We can sit here all day long. Listen, all of us, we can sit here all day long and say, well, God said to make disciples. So if he wants us to make disciples, he'll bring them to us. And he'll make it happen because if that's what God wants... That's what God gets. Except for that He said, now you go. Except for that He said, He placed that inside of you. Except for He said, now that you are ambassadors for Christ, entrusted with the gospel of reconciliation. There are so many promises in the Bible that reveal God's heart that are directly told to the church to go and become and be and do. So many. And I, I, I just, I, I don't know, I, I, was, I woke up this morning with this message in my heart, and so I just, I wrote it out. It's not the most polished message I've ever spoke. But I think that, that we have to break this thinking and this mentality that says that, well, if God promised and God said, then God will do. Because a lot of the times the things that God's promised, His way of doing is by putting the ability to do inside of us. And now to whom much is given, much is required. And there's an expectation that we would actually believe that we are who He said that we are and that we would live and do the things that He's called us to do. What a privilege. What an awesome to think that God has entrusted us. The most precious thing that God ever did was, re- was to redeem humanity through the death of His Son Jesus. And then He entrusted that Gospel to you. He entrusted that Gospel to me. What a privilege. What does God think of us that He would do that? That's why David was saying, what must man, who, who is man that you are mindful of him? He wasn't saying, oh, we're just these lowly maggots. I can't believe you think of us. He was saying, God, you, you say that your thoughts towards us are as countless as the grains of sand in the desert. We must mean more to you than we understand. There must be more to us than we know. We must not be lowly maggots. We must not be filthy, disgusting wretches. There must be more to us. You must see something different in us than we see in ourselves if your thoughts towards us are that countless and they're all good. Because God said what? In Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, thoughts of good, not evil. So if God has good thoughts, and those thoughts are as countless as grains of sand in the desert, then what must we be? And how much must He think of us? And how much must He love us? And how confident must He be that we will actually do the things He's called us to do, that He would entrust us with that? Isaiah 55, I'm just going to close up with this. Verse 10, it says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter in which I spent it, which I sent it. Listen, God believes every single word that He's ever spoken over your life. It doesn't matter what it looks like at this moment. The promises that He spoke over your life, He still believes them and is confident that they will not return to Him without accomplishing 
what He spoke them for. And it really doesn't matter if at this moment you can see how. In fact, if you can't see how, you might be in a great position to just live by faith and believe that He's going to do exactly what He said He was going to do. I get worried when I think I have everything figured out in my life because so many times my life has not gone the way that I had it planned. And when I think I have everything figured out, I realize I probably have forgotten to count for God. Because there's been so many times where I thought I knew the way and God's way was so much different. And I went and did things thinking that I knew what He was going to do and it turned out to be in vain and it was a complete waste of time because He had something totally different in mind. But He said... The word that I've spoken will not return to me void. It will not come back without accomplishing that which I sent it forth to accomplish. What's he spoke over your life? Like literally, you can read in the Bible. It doesn't have to be a prophetic word. It could be prophetic words that people have spoken over your life. But what has he said in the Bible about you? What has he spoke over you? He said that you're above and not beneath. He said that you are the head, not the tail. He said that you're blessed as you come and blessed as you go. He's spoken these words over you. And He said, and that word won't return to Him without accomplishing that which He sent it forth to do. But I want to say this, so many of the promises that He's given us come in the form of the ability to go after them and see them happen. It's not about sitting back and saying, listen, there are some times where you just get to a point where you say, God, I've done everything I know to do. I've done everything I can to stand and now I'm just going to stand. I don't understand what's next. I don't understand what to do. There are times for that, but there's also times to say, okay, God, I know what you've promised and I know what you've told me to do and I'm going to go and do it even if I don't see what you've promised that I would see. Believing that your answer lies not in what you're going to give me, but what in the ability that you've already given me. Israelites could have sat in the desert waiting for money trucks to show up. They could have waited for chariots to show up with gold. They could have waited for pearls to fall out of the sky. They could have waited for for nuggets of gold to come rolling down the hills to them. A sandstorm to bring them precious jewels. It wouldn't have happened. Because while God did desire to make them a wealthy nation and promised and swore an oath that He would bless them, the way that He blessed them was by giving them the ability to go out and create the thing that He promised. I just don't want us as a church to ever come to the end of our lives and realize that there were so many abilities inside of us that we actually never explored, that we never took a chance, that we never stepped out into, and that we sat waiting for God to do something that He placed the ability inside of us to do. He said, if you delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. Even that is a double-sided promise. It's not saying that as long as I delight in the Lord, if there's something I want, He'll give it to me. It means that as I find my delight in Him, my heart desire starts to line up with His heart's desires. And He'll actually place the desires that He has for me in my heart. And then when I go and do the things that are in my heart to do, I'm accomplishing the things that He sent me forth to do. And it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. What a privilege and what an honor it would be that we'd be entrusted with the most precious thing ever, the gospel of reconciliation. He has no problem commanding us to do impossible things because He's empowered us to do them. And He's totally confident in the ability that He's placed within us. I just want to challenge us 
I'm, I'm all about taking mission trips and, and doing everything that you feel like God's called you to do everywhere. But, but just be honest with ourselves. Like, what about our neighborhoods? What about the people that live to the left and to the right of us? What about our families? What about our friends? People we see at work. Like, what if we just decided that, you know what, nobody that lives near me is going to go to hell without choosing? That nobody that lives near me is going to be separated from the Father unless they absolutely choose it because I'm going to A, demonstrate what it looks like to be loved and I'm going to B, share the Gospel with them so they understand the way. We've been entrusted with that. He said He sent Jesus into the world to save the world. And then He said, now you go and make disciples. What an amazing privilege. What an amazing honor. But what an amazing responsibility. That He would actually entrust us with the plan of salvation. What an amazing vote of confidence from our Father that He actually thought that we would do the things He's called us to do. That he would say, there's people in the neighborhood that need to be loved, so I'm going to send one of my sons to live there. And I know that he'll live out the life that I've called him to live and that people will come to know me because of the way that he lives. That's amazing. That he said, there's people at that job. Yeah, that place is dark. They, the, the language they use is foul. And, and there's nobody there that, that would profess to be a Christian. And they're going to ridicule whoever I send there. But I have a son, I have a daughter that I can send there. And they will live like Jesus. And the more people ridicule them, the more they'll love them. And the more people persecute them, the more they'll respond in kindness. And people will see who I am because of the way that they live their life. I trust them. I'm going to send them there. And we're at the job going, oh Lord, would you please just send me to a job that I'd be surrounded by Christians? Why? Maybe He sent you where He sent you to be surrounded by heathens so that they would become Christians. God, if that person in my family would just stop being that way, what if He put you in their life so that when they're that way, you show them a different way? I'm just going to cut them out. You know what? That's the way they want to be. Don't do that. Because what you're saying is, there's nothing in me that's greater than the thing that's in them. Hmm. When we cut people completely out of our lives, we're saying there is nothing in me that's greater than the thing that's in them that I don't like. And we're bowing our knee to something other than the name of Jesus. God, I just I thank you that that you speak, God, even when I stumble with words, and that God, that you would just open our eyes to see all that we've been entrusted with. And you would open our eyes to see all the ability that we've been given. And that because of who we are in Christ, that we're perfectly capable of carrying out all the things you've commanded of us. That You're not a frustrating Father in Heaven watching us laughing as we try to live the life You've called us to live, but that You've actually given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And that we have the ability to live out the lives that You've called us to live. God, I thank You that for everything You've promised, You've provided the answer, and sometimes that answer is us. 
And I ask that we would just have our eyes and ears open to see where You've called us to be the answer, where You've called us to be the hope, where You've called us to be the joy, where You've called us to be the solution to the problem. God, that we would be ever aware of the fact that we carry You in Your presence and that wherever we go, You go with us. And I thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen.